Sue and I have a, a wood stove insert in our fireplace, which we have enjoyed very much over these uh, years we've lived uh, in our house. Uh, I used to get some wood in and uh, I even split and stack some. Of, you know, back in the day when I was uh, young and strong, we did a lot of that kind of thing. But lately, I'm too lazy and infirm to cut and stack firewood, so we burn presto logs. And uh, you can get, there's a certain kind, you know, there's, you, you got those little logs that make a flame that are just for looks, you know, no heat off of those. But you can buy a box uh, of four of these things uh, with a little fire starter, and you stack those up and put the fire starter and start them, and they make tremendous heat for several hours uh, in our uh, little wood stove, unless... They don't work right, and then they fill the whole house with smoke. <laughs> I'm sure it's a defect in the Presto log. I'm sure it has nothing to do with operator error. <laughs> I don't know what in the world happened last week. We lit some of those off, and, and it's like, what? The little fire starter doesn't produce enough heat to get the smoke drafting up the chimney right at first until the fire is going. When Christians are living right, when they're working right, when things are happening like they should be, there's a constant flow of worship drafting up to God. And when they're not, the room just fills up with smoke. We learned last week that worship is the purpose of our creation. It's also the purpose of our salvation. We learn that through our salvation, we are the place and the priest of worship, and what we have to offer is our lives. Today, we want to understand what the life of a living sacrifice looks like. We want to ask the question, what does worship look like in action and to do that, to start to answer that question, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Judea, in Judea in the days of Herod the king. And behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests, the scribes, the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent the wise men to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child marry his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The word worship in the New Testament essentially means submission to God, but the meaning of the word comes from its, its literal concept. And the literal concept it actually is a compound using the word dog, and it means something like to crouch down like a dog. In other words, it's, it's a picture of what it looks like when someone worships. And the reason I read this passage is because we see these three wise men, they would have been uh, perhaps scientists, perhaps scientists slash religious leaders of the east, that is east of Israel, the place we call Iraq today, Babylon, that type of thing. And they came, and when they saw Christ, they literally got down like a dog on their hands and knees. I would do that for you today 
if I was able to get back up afterwards. Where's a small child who could demonstrate for me? No. <laughs> Still not getting on my knee. Um, but that's the literal meaning of the word. Okay? And that is what it meant to give worship in the day. These wise men came, and they knew that Christ was a king. They knew he was born king of the Jews, and so they fell down and worshiped. They made themselves lower than him physically to demonstrate that they saw him as the superior and themselves as the inferior. Not inferior as in poor of quality, but as in you are more important than me, and I am giving you that honor. We see this in the Old Testament with uh, David. When David was being chased around the desert by King Saul, even so David respected him as God's chosen king. David also arose afterward, after a certain interchange between David and Saul, went out of the cave, and he called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the King! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. I think we would call this uh, another version, another image, another picture of what it means to worship. He bowed like this, with his face to the ground. Okay? He did that to show honor from the inferior to the superior. This action of bowing down was also a demonstration of worship to God. We see it in Nehemiah 8 and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, that's God's word, the Old Testament, and he was standing above all the people, he was on a platform so they could hear him, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. If you go to a Russian church today, they always stand up when the Bible is written. Uh, Red, sorry. I'm not even on drugs yet and I can't do that. They all stand up. But these people weren't done. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, or let it be so, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads. I I don't know if it meant they stood up and then bowed. I don't know if they did like this. Uh, You get the idea. They did different physical things to demonstrate Uh, I am the inferior, you are the superior. That's what worship means. This was also practiced at the time of Christ. While Christ spoke these things, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Have you ever thought about what that meant? He came and worshiped him. What did he do? Did he come and have a little song service? Did he come and have a little preaching service? Did he come and read some scripture? Uh, What did he do? He came and bowed down. He came and said, you are the mighty one. I am the lesser one. I'm coming to ask for your help. He came and worshiped. And if we would read on, then he made his request. There was also some who bowed the knee but didn't mean it. Then the soldiers led Christ away to the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they, put clo- they clothed him with purple, they twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they began to salute him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. Now, were they really worshipping him? No, they were mocking him, but... What we see is they knew the normal way you show honor to a superior was to bow the knee or to bend over. You can read places in the Gospels and in the Old Testament where they got down flat on the ground with their face to the ground. That's what the word prostrate means, to be fully on the ground flat. And so what we understand here from that last act and from all the others is this, And we're going to look at this more as we go through. But the physical act of bowing does not define worship. Rather, real worship is the will bowed in submission to God. 
We could look through the Bible and see all kinds of postures used in the honor of God, but the key idea in the word worship is is the bowing. I bow to you. I salute you. Whatever it might be uh, in different cultural times. And, And this idea of bowing the will is really summarized, I think, in these well-known words of Christ. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We could come back to some of the ideas we talked about last week and basically say this, who's in charge of your life? If you're in charge of your life, then your knees are straight spiritually. There's no bowing going on. But if you are living your life in the way that Christ has said, then you have spiritually bowed your knee, bowed your head, you've you've made yourself the inferior and him the superior, and you're saying, your will be done. Your will be done. When you bow the knee to God's demand of faith in Christ as Savior, you're worshiping. See, if you come here to the worship service, Sing the songs, close your eyes when we pray, listen to the preaching. It's not worship if you haven't bowed your knee to the Savior. Because that's really the beginning of worship. When, I, when we say, I, I, am an, I am a sinner, I can't save myself, you are the Savior. Even in that, we're recognizing I am the inferior, you are the superior. I believe in you, please save me. When you bow the knee to God's demand for faith in Christ, you're worshiping. When you speak the truth in love, as God has told us to do, you're worshiping. When you receive correction in humility, it is an act of worship. Every thought you keep pure is an act of worship. Every choice to act in love toward others is an act of worship. Every time you wait patiently on God's timing, it is an act of worship. Every time you cast your care on God, instead of worrying about your future, it is an act of worship. Every act of obedience done by a believer in Christ from a sincere heart is an act of worship to God. Remember, where's the temple? Where's the temple? Here. Who's the priest? Me. What do I have to offer? My life. And so as I do that with a sincere heart, I worship God. That's why I've called this little two-part series Constant Worship. It is constant worship if we are walking with Christ, walking with Christ, walking with Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews 13 now. So worship is submission to God. It's also the recognition of God. Turn with me to Hebrews 13. Before we read from that passage, though, I want to take you to one of the most important worship verses in the New Testament, and it's James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing comes from God. That's why I've I've said here to worship is to recognize the good things, to honor God for the good things. Think through this, this process just a little bit. What is the source of the good things in your life? I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about it. I imagine some of you have. What is the source of the good things in my life? I have done it by my own might. I have done it by my own intellect. I am beholden to no person. Well, Lord bless you, you are the American dream, but you are not worshiping God. Because God says every good and perfect gift comes down from him. That's what James says. That's what God says. Let's think through this, starting with the most obvious. We should thank God for every aspect of salvation. 
I know at the very least that if you are truly a Christian, you know you didn't save yourself. Right? Christ died for your sins. God called you to himself. God enabled you to understand. And so, to recognize the good things of God is to start by saying, I recognize the goodness of salvation, and I recognize that it came from God. What comes right along with that is the daily forgiveness of sin. When you confess your sin, do you also thank God for forgiving? Oh God, I've done that sin again. And we know that 1 John 1, 9 says when we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us. What should come right after, oh God, I sinned and it's wrong, we should be, and thank you for forgiving me. Wow, thank you for forgiving me. I'll tell you, when I have a, a fresh appreciation of salvation, when I stop and realize that this good gift has come from God, when I come to the bedside of one who's getting near eternity or I come to a memorial service and I know in my heart this loved one is with the Lord and I know that I'm headed there too, I think, wow, thank God for that. What kind of a blessing is that? That's an incredible blessing. When I have a victory over sin, I thank God. When we think about salvation and all of the things salvation brings, we should be thanking God for those blessings when we see them. The prophet Jeremiah penned some words that, came in, that come into a song that we have sung. The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. When we perceive God's faithfulness, God's forgiveness, we need to say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for my salvation. There ought to be a, a, a constant drone of thanksgiving for our salvation. We ought to also recognize good for ev God for every ability that we have. He says every good thing has come from him. Well, that means whatever abilities that I have came from God. 1 Corinthians 4 reinforces that when it says, what makes you to differ from another and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast? as though you had not received it. You could pick any ability that you have and follow this little trail. Why does your mind think the way it thinks? We all have different abilities to think. Some people can solve great conceptual problems. Some people can take a motor apart and put it back together. And, and, and all these different kinds of ability to think and to, you know, I, uh, I have a friend who can make bread without a recipe while he talks to you for a hundred people. He can feel the dough. He knows when it feels right. Man, I wish I could do that. I'd weigh 500 pounds. <laughs> and I would be happy. Why does his mind work that way and my mind doesn't work that way? I don't know. I know his ability to do that came from God, and my ability to do the things I can do came from God. Why does my mind work the way it does? God created the mind, and God put my parents together, and their parents, and so on, so that I would be born with certain abilities. Why should I stand up and say, I have a great mind, and it's all mine, and I did it? Really? God had no hand in that. Your parents had no hand in that. You weren't raised in a certain environment that caused you to experience certain things and learn certain things. You didn't go to certain schools and have certain educational experiences. You weren't in the right place at the right time that God providentially worked to bring you into certain things. You did all this yourself. You're really something. Or else God is really something. 
The whole nature of a praise service like we're gonna have tonight is for us to look back. You know, as believers, we, we look forward with all kinds of thoughts, but we don't truly know what's coming. We don't know how God is gonna mesh together pieces of our lives. But when we look back, we can say, wow, look what God did there. Look how he brought this together and that together, way beyond anything I could have done, and God did that. When we look back in our lives, we should be able to look back and say, wow, look how God brought together these pieces to bring me where I am today. Thank you for where I am today. I love where I am. That should be the spirit of recognizing God We did not get where we are, no matter where you're at, by accident or independent strength. Every ability we have comes from God, and we should praise him for it. Number three, we should thank God for every good experience. Remember, James 1 says, every good thing comes from God. What do you do when you walk out of, you walk out of this building today? Look look outside out there. Can you see what's going on out there? The sun is shining. And it's blue sky. You know, we have this little pattern right around Ferndale, this little weather pattern where sometimes you can see black clouds around in a circle, and it's blue sky. And when it's cold in the winter, it'll often be clear. And I drive down my hill. I, I live up there on the, on the Swede Hill, and I'll drive down the hill. You know, when they get done constructing, and I'll drive down the hill anyway. <laughs> I look out and see Mount Baker and I say, wow, thank God for that view. Isn't that wonderful? Do you get tired of thanking God for the beauty that's in your life? You know what? When I walk out and it's raining, after it's been dry for a while, I just kind of breathe that in and go, oh God, what a glorious day. Now, you know, honestly, when we were in Los Angeles a couple of months ago, and you could ask my wife about this, I love it when it's hot. I love to go out in the evening when it's warm in a place like Los Angeles and just just enjoy that warm weather. But I'll tell you truthfully, when I see the blue sky in the winter, I'm praising God for that. I I, I kinda like it all. I, I think God wants us to appreciate it all. Appreciate Whatever comes our way. When there's food on the table, ah, you know, it's hard not to, not to bow your head and do a perfunctory prayer. Oh, God, good bread, good grub, let's eat. No, you wouldn't do that, would you? But sometimes, where's, where, do we appreciate what God has put before us? When your child obeys, thank God. When your dad buys you ice cream, thank God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. One of the reasons we don't worship a lot is we haven't disciplined our mind to perceive all of the good things. Every good thing should cause us to praise God. We should thank God for every answered prayer. Uh, This is a little easier Although sometimes we forget because you know what happens when God answers a prayer? We're praying for the next one. Okay, God, good job. Now next time if you could just speed it up a little. Do you remember this episode from the life of Christ? As he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers. Leprosy is a broad word in the Bible that means any kind of skin disorder The thing that we call leprosy today would have been part of that. It could have been other things as well. But the net effect was they were cast out of the the society and they had to be separate because there was contagious issues and so on. And so it really had a tremendously negative impact on their quality of life. It wasn't just that they were ill. It was that they were ostracized and they they couldn't earn a living and, and they were beggars and so on. As he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood far off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. 
That was what they were supposed to do in the Old Testament when they were healed of leprosy. They were supposed to go for an inspection and he would certify them healed and they could come back into the to society. Go show yourself to the priest. So it was as they went, they were cleansed. As they walked to the temple, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. I mean, folks, you can't imagine, this is a whole turnaround of your life. Huge, huge turnaround. And he fell down on his face, there we go, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, which means he wasn't one of Jesus' close relatives. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten who were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Would you be the one or the nine when your prayer is answered? You know, one of the reasons I think it's good to have a prayer journal where you write down the list of things that, are, that concern you, that you're praying for, is so when the answer comes, you can write in there, answered, and then tomorrow you can remember, hey, thank you, God, for that thing. I, that, uh, there have been times when I was surprised by God's answer. I was praying for somebody to come to faith in Christ one time, and as I went to my prayer list a day or two later, I went, they got saved. And it was like, forgive me, it's like I almost wasn't sure if it was ever gonna happen. And I wrote in there the date and they got saved and then I praised God for it. Oh, we need to be worshipers as much as we are prayers. I had an answer to prayer this week that was so obvious and significant that I was just overwhelmed with the power and presence of God. I, I tell you honestly, that doesn't happen very often. God just overwhelmingly showed up. And I wrote that down, and now I'm praising God. <laughs> we need to be just as careful to give praise and thanks as we are to ask for help. <sighs> we should thank God for everything. <laughs> In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now this gets a lot tougher. We don't have time this morning. I'm not going to take time to, to delve into James 1 and the issue of trials and so on. But we need to get in the habit of saying, thank you God. What did Job say when everything had been stripped away from his life? He, it says he tore his clothes, which was a sign of, of grief. He wasn't naked, but he didn't have all of his clothes on. That was the way they grieved. And he got down, he threw ashes on his head, and he said, I came naked from God, and I'm going to go naked from God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We should thank God for everything. Is it raining? Praise God for what the rain brings. Is it cold? Thank God for the crisp air and your warm coat. Is it hot? Thank God you don't need a coat. Is it in between? Thank God that we live in a temperate climate. 50 degrees on the average. Ben Sutton just got back from a place where it's not 50 degrees in the icebox, I don't think. <laughs> Praise God for everything. You're in Hebrews 13. Let's read there. The basis of our constant worship is not just the goodness of our life, it's everything that's in our life because of Christ. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 10. We have an altar, a place of worship, from which those who serve at the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin and are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, 
that he might make us righteous or sanctify us with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go out to him bearing his reproach for here we have no continuing city but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The basis of our worship needs to be the person of Christ and the salvation we've received, not the immediate, momentary condition of our life. If my praise is gonna be contingent on my comfort or my ease or my perceived blessing, then my praise is at best gonna be up and down and probably a lot of down. But if my praise is based on Jesus Christ saved me, and in order to do that, he had to go outside and be considered a person of shame and die in a place of shame, if he, he did that for me, now he's asked me to continually offer the sacrifice of praise, then I ought to do it for him. That's why we're having a praise service tonight. On Sunday mornings when we gather, we worship, we talk about the ministry, we put a priority on the study of God's word, and Lord willing, that results in more worship as we go forth from this place. But there need to be times, like tonight, when we come together and just stop and say, God was good to me here. God was good to me there. The emphasis is on God, not us. It's not about us telling what great things we've experienced. It's about us saying, God helped me. God did this. God healed. God worked. I prayed and God answered this prayer for these people. We need to sing God's praise. People who write songs are able to say in a poetic way things that, that we can't quite get out of our heart sometimes. And it's good to sing God's praise and it's good to speak God's praise. I used to know pastors years ago who would talk about the worship part of the service by this name, the pre-service. You know what that meant? It was the stuff we had to do because we couldn't preach for an hour. Well, they didn't know me, but. <laughs> is singing God's praise and in praying to him and reading scripture, is that only something we do to burn some daylight or because some people like to sing? Or is it our divine opportunity to give thanks to the God of our salvation? And then to come at special times like tonight and come together and publicly thank God. I mean, Christ publicly died for our sin. Do you know, no movie has ever depicted him the way he looked on the cross because he was naked. And that was a way to shame people in that day and you and I would feel a bit of embarrassment too if we were hanging naked on a cross. Besides the fact that, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't way up in the air like some of the pictures. He would have been right there and people came up and insulted him and, you know, made fun of him. Yeah, if, you, if you're the son of God, come on down. He went through that to save us We need to be people of worship out of a heart of thanksgiving. Turn with me to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, please. Worship is submitting to God. It's living your life in obedience to Him. It is the recognition of all the good things in God that God has done for us and then thirdly, worship is contribution to God's work. Philippians 4, verse 15. 
Now you Philippians, you know, Philippi was a place. I, I, I trust you understand that. The people who lived there were Philippians, and this is the church at Philippi. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from your area, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. In other words, Paul picked up and went off like Catherine did to Thailand or Ben Sutton did to Africa, and he said, no church shared with me except you only. Only one church you shared with me. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, even when I was in another place for a fairly long period of time ministering to them, even then you sent an offering once and again for my necessities. Here's the important part for us today, folks. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account Indeed, I have all. I, I have the offering you've given. I am full. I've received from Epaphroditus the things you sent. And here's what it is to God. It is a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. I don't know if you visualize your monetary giving as a sweet-smelling sacrifice. The, the imagery there goes back to the Old Testament sacrifice, and one of the things they burned regularly in the sacrifice was some of the fat from the animal. Now, you think in burning fat, how good could that smell? Think of a steak on the grill. How good does that smell? That smells good. In fact, Hurry up, Pastor Dave. I'm about ready for one of those. You understand? I mean, God used that imagery. God, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But he uses that imagery to say, do you understand how much I enjoy this? I enjoy this worship as much as you enjoy anticipating that steak which is on the grill. God says when we give with a sincere heart out of a desire to honor God, when we give like that, that it goes up to God like a sweet smell. And he goes, wow, that is so, that is so delicious. That is such a blessing. It's hard for us sometimes to remember that God is the recipient of our worship. It's hard for us to remember that when we come here to sing songs, we're singing to the audience of one. Sometimes we get turned around thinking we're singing to ourselves or this is for our enjoyment. The, the reality is we sing to God and the byproduct is his joy that comes to us. And when we put money in the plate, our most natural thought is, well, we have to keep the lights on here, or, or we need to uh, get those shoeboxes to wherever they're going in the world. And those are good thoughts. But the ultimate thought needs to be, God, thank you. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that my, my money can go and do your work all around the world. God has given us the privilege of cooperating with his work, and we ought to be thankful for that. Do you know that over the last few years, we have given over $10,000 to the new hospital being built in Togo? We sent Ben Sutton out there twice at a cost of between $3,000 and $3,500. And we did a fundraiser at Christmas a few years ago. We did a concert, you remember? We raised about $3,000 there and sent it. Not to mention, we sent Tara Holland over to work, in the, to work in the existing hospital so other people could be freed up to do the preparation of nurses and so on. We've invested thousands of dollars in that. And you know what? People are coming to the Lord already, even though the hospital isn't done. God is being worshipped already by, by people of that majority religion from that part of the world who are getting saved, and they're starting to glorify God. Wow. Wow. There are believers today in Ghana, in Brazil, and Japan 
because of the extensive giving of this church years ago for Iola, for the Polsons, and for the Lancasters, who are both with the Lord now. Listen to this example of, of worshipful giving. giving. Giving our possessions to the Lord is an act of worship. Then Mary took a pound a very costly oil of spikenard. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? That's probably equivalent to a year's wages for an average working man. I don't know what the poverty level is today, $30,000, $40,000, which seems like a lot. Let's call it $30,000. Let's just ballpark it. She took a, a thing worth $30,000 and poured it on Jesus' feet. Judas said this not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. He skimmed the offering. But Jesus said, leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but me you do not always have. Jesus said, you know what, guys? You don't understand this yet, but I'm taking off. And she got to physically worship me with an extravagant gift. You leave her alone. Wow. What an extravagant act of worship. When we give back to God some of the things he has given us, we worship him. What a privilege is ours. Number four, worship is serving in God's work. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said here in Philippians 2. Yeah, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. You know, we can talk about giving what we possess in terms of money or our goods. You know, we use our car for the Lord or whatever we do. We, we have these things we can give to God. But equally valuable to those possessions is our time and effort. And the Apostle Paul said, it had, my life and my service to you has been like a drink offering. One of the offerings they give in the Old Testament would be to, to literally pour out some wine to God, and, and it had a certain symbology. And the Apostle Paul was saying, if, you know, my life is being poured out. I have finite number of days. The Apostle Paul knew that. He was in prison when he wrote it. And he's saying, if my life is being poured out so that you might be disciples, he said, I'm glad. The Apostle Peter talked about this. <clears throat> you as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. As a body of believers, as a church, we are being built together to serve God together and do acts of worship. And when we do that, it is an honor to God. Do you view your service to God at First Baptist Church as a duty to be done, or as an act of worship. Uh, I have never had the privilege of working in the nursery because I've always been involved in the church service. Ever since I left college, uh, 1978, every Sunday I'm involved in what's going on right here. So I've never worked in a nursery. I've never worshiped God by changing a diaper in the nursery. Is that an act of worship? Do we view that as an act of worship? It is if we're doing it for God. God, I'm here to serve your body. And this baby needs to be here, and this baby needs a diaper change. So I offer this to you, God. It can be an act of worship, just like sweeping the floor. Just like singing on the worship team, just like any other thing. What we do for God is an act of worship. Listen to how Peter puts it in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. If anybody speaks, 
Let him speak as the oracle of God. If anybody ministers, there's the nursery verse right there. That's, that's the word that's sometimes translated deacon, and it means just to serve in, in any capacity. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Do, do you find that interesting? He goes from preaching to serving. That's kind of Paul's A to Z in the ministry. Whether you're doing this, which, which looks like a big deal to God, or you're doing this that might not look like a big deal, but it is a big deal, if you do it with a heart for God, that in all things Christ may be glorified. Well, how is this going to happen? How are we going to live in submission to God? How are we going to learn to recognize all of God's good things, to contribute to God, to serve God? It's going to happen as an expression of a life filled with God's word. Term, or here we go, we've got it right here. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. And what happens when the word of Christ dwells in you richly in all wisdom? You teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. He doesn't say singing with grace in your hearts to one another. Somehow, when the word of Christ is dwelling in us, when it's dwelling in us richly, Thanksgiving is coming. I'm already salivating for turkey. I found a new method of preparing the turkey. A little uh, kind of, they call it a dry, a dry a brining. I'm, I'm gonna, looking forward to teaching. I love a good turkey and good turkey gravy. And I am looking forward to being richly filled with the turkey and the potatoes and the stuffing, and the vegetables, and the bread rolls, and the pumpkin pie. I got kind of a hankering for a chiffon pumpkin pie this year. I've never made one, I don't have a clue, but I'm gonna try. And when it's all done, I am gonna be richly filled. <laughs> Do you know what this verse means? This verse means let God's word just fill you up until you're full. When you eat that much food, I'm sure none of you will do that on Thanksgiving, but when I eat that much food, I just want to sit there and <laughs> it overcomes one. <laughs> the word of God is not something we read and walk away from. We don't come to church and listen and go away and say, well, that was good or that wasn't good, sort of like we watch a ball game, you know, that was good or it wasn't good. The Word of God needs to come in and fill us, and when it is filling us, what will come out are words and actions that will honor God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, the, the beginning, the beginning of the word of Christ dwelling in you richly is the word of Christ dwelling in you. And the beginning of that is reading the word. Could it be so simple as this, that if you spent time with God every morning reading the word, that as you walked through your day, God would open your eyes and you would see the things to praise him as you walked through your days? I think it could be that simple. If worship isn't on your lips, maybe Christ isn't in your heart. Or maybe he's in there in a back corner. If the worship of serving God isn't on your calendar, maybe God's truth isn't guiding your thoughts. The person who reads God's word, God's word and hides it in their heart will be known by the praise they give the Lord in all kinds of circumstances. We had a fellow in our church in, in Tukwila who, who used to drive around. He was a... a Courier, picks stuff up, drops stuff off, medical courier. 
And he was just always smiling and maybe singing a happy tune. <laughs> and he said, people say to me, I go into an, a, a doctor's office and they say, why are you so happy? He wasn't putting it on. He, it was just bubbling up out of him. The person who meditates on God's word will be known by the expression of trust in God when others would be worrying. Not long after Sue and I entered our first ministry, uh, somebody in the church uh, invited us to go to dinner. I believe it was at the Four Seasons in Vancouver. I know it was in Vancouver, and I know it was very she-she. I, I don't know if I'd even been to a shishi restaurant at that point in my life, but pastor and his wife were invited, we were invited, another couple, and this one man and his wife were taking us all, and they invited us, and, and uh, you, you know, if you invite me to go to dinner, I will come. <laughs> I just want you to know that. And so we went, hey, we're long for the ride, you know, whatever, brand new to the ministry, and we go there, and oh, we had shrimp on an ice ball, and I don't even remember what all we had, but it was something. And, you know, in retrospect, if I'd have known ahead of time what a great experience that was going to be, I'd have been clamoring to get all after it, but thankfully I was smart enough to just show up when somebody invited me for dinner. And I had a wonderful, wonderful privilege that I've never had since. Little hint there. <laughs> I had no idea what a treat the whole evening was going to be. And I'm glad I accepted the invitation. Friends, what I hope you take away more than anything else from these two sermons is this. The God of the universe has invited you into the throne room. He's invited you to live in praise and worship to him. And I don't know if you've lived that way yet, but if you haven't, I just want to say it's a wonderful privilege that you should accept. Heavenly Father, we're here today to worship you. We're here today to receive from you, to learn from you. We want you to be honored. You have done so much for us. You are preparing such great things for us. We're here to offer you our thanks. May we be people of worship and may our worship increase. May your praise be on our lips. I pray in Christ's name, amen.